Tis the season for those irresistible ginger thins, cozy blankets for cuddling by the fire, and making home warm and welcoming. For one-stop holiday shopping, visit your local IKEA or ikea-usa.com slash holiday. Thank you, Cogsley, the plot of many voices. Welcome to Right Night, guys. 321 in the midst of the modern plague. Hope everybody's doing well and your family and friends and loved ones are being taken care of. I am Travis Sivart. You know, I have realized, like the past week or two, I have forgot to mention in my intro what the hell I've written. So, I, I am currently writing book two of the Portal series. The first one was Tara. You saw her with us last week here on Right Night. She's my editor, my favorite editor ever, not just because she has two of my books in her hands. And other than that, the Harbinger series, actually Downfall series, Harbinger is book one. So feel free to check those out. Let's go around and start with the delightful and talented and annoyingly productive Tempe Wade. Hi, I'm Tempe Wade. I'm the author of the Timely Revolution book series. I have books tonight. Ooh. That's books one Yay. and two. And then books... Three and four. Um, it's a, a continuous series on uh, historical fiction fantasy of the Revolutionary War, time travel, um, fan- all that good stuff based around Williamsburg during the Revolutionary War. Um, I'm working on the ninth in that series right now, trying to get the fifth one out, and I'm working on a romance series that ties back in with it as well. Oh, thank God. Something to cut off her productivity on <laughs> book 42. <laughs> It's, uh, <clears throat> anything else before I jump over to Aaron? No, nope, go ahead. Aaron Kennedy, take it away. Hi, my name is Aaron Kennedy. I'm the author of the Persona Non Grata of the book uh, Ships of Valor, book one. Uh, I have also written uh, a couple articles for the Army uh, Times and the NCO Journal. Um, so I delve into fiction and nonfiction. Um, and then the current project, I'm writing an article uh, titled... Uh, do we adequately teach running? Uh, it's for the military uh, folks. Interesting. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate that. <clears throat> um, and then last but not least, the grinning, ever so happy, in the lower right, Michael Thompson. Thompson. Hello. My name is Michael Thompson. I am an author and illustrator of World of the Orb, Winslow Hoffner's Incredible Encounters, and my latest book is Chicken Boy, the fourth Chicken Boy book. Radioactive chicken saves the world with his best friends from the maniacal monkey man. <laughs> nice. Give me a second here. Let me do this. When you hear that sound, it means that I want to read comments. And we do have a viewer, a live viewer, for anybody watching on the podcast all across the dozen different places they are. This is a live show every Saturday night at 8 o'clock on twitch.tv slash Travis Tavern Talk. Chris has commented, a little difficult to hear the intro voice, I'm guessing the voice in the music, and everyone but you sound echoey. So, <clears throat> let me just double check all this stuff here. Um, 
just going to check my properties, make sure things are coming through okay in the right place at right time. And tell you, I'm totally unsure what's causing that. But here's what I'll do. I'll turn that down in case it's getting any a reflex back through. Let me know how that sound quality continues. And uh, is there anything else we needed to talk about before we go into the actual topic? Okay, I'm seeing a lot of head shaking. Remember, in for some cases, we have video here. But for the podcast, voice is always better. Oh, yes. That's good pod, sir. That's good pod. That's right. I remember the Mime podcast. It was awesome. Well, it didn't last long, but uh, yeah, they were very uh, enthusiastic about it. I didn't hear that from them at all. Um, Okay, so tonight's topic for the Creative Hour, we are going to discuss fact versus fiction, all kinds of things about that. And for the technical hour, we're going to talk about fonts and all kinds of related things about that. We encourage audience participation. That's why we have the bell. (laughs) And uh, I have been shouting all day at large crowds of people, not just for fun, but for profit also. So (laughs) if I'm a little quieter or a little throatier, let me know. How is the echo for everybody? Let me know until we get that corrected Um, for anybody listening um okay so fact versus fiction it's a different way to read it it's a different way to write it it's a different way to research it and it's different reasons we write it and so on so aaron i'm going to start with you on this one if you don't mind because i say for nonfiction. I think word count-wise, you're definitely in the lead. Now, I've had quite a few nonfiction books also. But what I'm curious about with nonfiction, Aaron, is I know how I get my voice. Because the books I wrote on all the 27 Thoughts and other Steampunk for Simpletons, etc., it's my voice. It's me. Violet, how are you? And Spacey Tracy, I didn't mean to ignore everybody. Princess Shiera says hello to Tempe. Ignore the rest of us. We're a little Hi, heartbroken. <laughs> hello, friends. But hello to everybody. So sorry. As I said, it's been a long day. Perhaps I'm a little spacey. My apologies. Um, but Aaron, what I'm talking about is, is with the books, nonfiction that I have written, I've used my own voice. Because it's about topics that I'm passionate about, that I love. Kind of the same things any of us as writers would do if we're at a sci-fi or a literary convention doing a panel. Gotcha. With nobody else around to interrupt you. <laughs> um, so you write a lot of technical papers, and you've mentioned previously that you try to give it a voice. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so it, now I've got the stuff that I'm doing on my PhD, right. uh, Doctor of Philosophy and Business, but it's the focus on leadership and physical fitness and how they interact. Uh, so it's a topic I'm passionate about, so I use that voice. Now, I've got to tailor it for the scholarly community, uh, but that's really just knowing your audience. Um, and then uh, I'm going to link a couple articles here that I wrote uh, just because I want to give an example. <laughs> yep. By the way, go. for anybody uh, watching podcasts, if you guys ever want to see these links, you come to Twitch or YouTube, they're there. It shows the chat on Twitch, on YouTube, not so much just the video. So 
that's the way you guys can find it if you ever need to. Aaron, carry on. What else you got there? Okay. Uh, I linked one here. Uh, Army has a sleep problem, and here's how to fix it. It's, uh, I co-wrote it with a guy named uh, Jeff Yeager. Uh, great guy. Um, I presented the the problem that we had there, and I said, oh, okay. Hey, being sleepy is as bad as being drunk. That was the yeah. beginning, right? <laughs> that's the beginning of the freaking topic, and it's like, oh, wow, that's a great seed concept that you're dealing with, just like in our fiction works. Um, and then we go, okay. Well, what do we want to do? What we're trying to persuade an audience to look at the thing the same way that we're looking at it, um, but in a new and inventive way, just like fiction writing. The stories have all been rehashed and things like that. The nine classic plots, the twenty-seven expanded plots, and that kind of thing, and really creating an argument on a on a technical side is very similar. I'm not necessarily conveying information. I'm using information to persuade. Um, whereas if you get into deep, deep technical stuff, all right, here's the, here's the data go. And that's voiceless. They shouldn't be able to tell who it is or anything like that. Um, in your, in these papers specifically, exactly. Not in nonfiction across the board, not nonfiction across the board. Now, technical, like straight technical documents tend to be dry. Um, but, uh, that's a very small, small community out there. Uh, I've heard there's a big those. demand for uh, uh, people who can write scientific and technical stuff with voice and oh. uh, make it really interesting and lively. Well, you got guys like, uh, and uh, plug uh, uh, Stephen Levin and Stephen Dubner's Freakonomics. Uh, that is a great, great book and a great uh, thing that they built on there. They're presenting this cool information in bite-sized chunks that you can kind of understand and see the second and third order effects of it. Mm. Um, and there's other people that do it well. Uh, oh, what is it? Uh, we have, we'll skip over that, but um, we want to get that information out there, but if the information's not interesting, nobody remembers it. you got to... Yeah. Uh, and I know Travis has made comments about this. Uh, Neil deGrasse uh, uh, Tyson. Uh, his real strength is the fact that he targets the sound bites um the information itself is just okay whatever but because he goes oh this is how it works in the real world oh and these are things that are relatable to us we remember it he ties it to pop culture bill nye could also be pointed at for that and, oh, and here's something i'm going to say before people say these are scientists slash actors whatever somebody still writes their material just True. because they spew it out, and it feels so natural, you think they just pulled it out of their ass. Not so. This is absolutely written. Somebody, by the way, if you ever want to watch beautiful writing, go watch your fan favorite stand-up comedian. That thing is scripted, oh, yeah. tweaked, honed, shredded, and... Okay, Chris, good to know. Uh, I'll keep adjusting that as necessary. Thank you for that sound update. Violet says, I freelanced a few nonfiction articles before, and the voice is definitely a struggle, but an achievable one. And hold on, I'm going to read another comment before I go on with that thought. Uh, Princess Shiera says, I've done some work on vocal, and it's a work your way up, but there is a freedom to talk about any topic. The hard work will pay off. <clears throat> 
something, this being a writing show, when you hear any of us refer to movies, stand-up, politicians, or any of these other things, every that is all written. This is not off-the-cuff stuff. They don't do off-the-cuff for a reason. They're just a good enough orator or actor or however you want to look at it, performer, that it doesn't feel pre-rehearsed, pre-written. Yeah, it's true. Everything has an origin. Right. Right. On that note, friggin' Cheech and Chong were the kings of this. Huh? Um, they developed what they called the perfect hamburger. They got an act, and then they went to the next town, and they go, okay, well, this doesn't work here. It's gone. This works really well in both places. Okay, keep it. And then they, as they got around the U.S., before their first movie came out, they developed this perfect concept that they could present to everybody, and yeah. it just worked. Um, Chris Rock is of the same kind of vein. Uh, before he put stuff on TV, he's hit 50, 60 small clubs that they didn't know he was coming to, and he does that kind of thing. Yeah, my buddies and I saw Gabriel Iglesias, and uh, it's cool like hearing the jokes that he's workshopping before they end up in the specials. So, yeah, it's kind of like real-time editing in that way uh, from our point of view. Speaking of real-time editing, um, I'll point this out. Unrelated so much to the creative side, more on the technical side, look at Mike Lennon's pitches. Oh, when yeah. people are walking past the table. He is a walking commercial for himself, and it's a beautiful thing there. And they're not – they're scripted, but you still allow for – just like any good stand-up comedian or public speaker, you allow for the ebb and flow to work yeah. with the crowd, and you adjust on the fly as well as before and after. Aaron, I see you going like this. You got a thought on it? Oh yeah. Well, he's he's scripted like a video game is scripted. It's a decision tree. Uh, Tales of Monkey. Well, Tales of Monkey Island. As you're working, with, that is one of the best stories out there. But it was free form. You could go anywhere, do anything. Right. Within the confines of the script. That's a good way to think about it. Um, Yeah, when I was, I remember when I had Winslow, I had a pitch for War, but I didn't have a pitch for Winslow. And uh, I think, what was it? It was either RavenCon or MarsCon. At Capella University, education is as smart as the world around us. With the FlexPath format, you can take classes at your own pace, set your own deadlines, and even leverage your previous experience to move faster. Now that's smart. Learn more at capella.edu. At Capella University, education is as smart as the world around us. With the FlexPath format, you can take classes at your own pace, set your own deadlines, and even leverage your previous experience to move faster. Now that's smart. Learn more at capella.edu. And that was where I was, like, workshopping it and seeing where people's eyes lit up with interest and where people were kind of uh, losing interest. And then, you know, I took all the, the exciting buzzwords. It's like, you know, people, like... I don't know if people really knew the word cryptozoology or cryptids, but I was able to to house it within like uh, urban legends, mythical creatures, and stuff, and and draw on that and um, and whittle it down into something with all these like really exciting words that made people want to know more about it. Now hold on, I'm going to pull Tempe into the conversation here. <laughs> so Tempe, any current thoughts on the stuff that we've already discussed? Um, well, just pointing out what Mike talking about um as writers it, it's harder to push your stuff to come up with that hook line for your own stuff than it is for somebody else um, so um and i'm not sure 
why that is. You know, I can sit down and write 90,000 words that come out just fine, but when it comes to writing the back of that book cover, I'm like, eh, Because you're too close. This well, is a psychological block on your own part. If right. you were handed Mike's book and read it or read enough of it, three chapters, to get a hook out of it, you could write that back cover. If you can step away from your own material enough to read it neutrally, you could do that to your own. It's an art. It's a practice. It's an exercise. Right. Aaron, what were you going to say right. there? Well, I was going to say, what fen fay fuckery is this? Is that when reading her books, there's your hook. Okay, gotcha in three words, and then, all right, this is what's going on now. Right, right. The problem with that is I had to wait until book four to introduce that. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that, so that leaves 37 yeah. books to go. 37 uh, You know, just jump on the bandwagon now. <laughs> That's fun to like know all these future quotes coming up and right towards it. I quote I quote stuff around the house about that hasn't been published yet in some of these books too. I do that too, Mike, and I have to be careful around who I say things to. Yeah, spoilers. <laughs> I've written like three, four stories ahead, and they're like, "Wait, what did you say?" <laughs> like, oh, who's wait, gonna die? Who's gonna die? <laughs> I saw you torturing your uh, your audience <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs> There you go. Well, Cogsley said, thank you, Violet. Appreciate that. Violet is cheering what you're saying there, Tempe. Give him some love for that commentary there. Carry on. (laughs) Keep on. can't think of the word because I'm a spacey. Um, what, what's your, your not diametrics, not metrics, what's your, who's saying what? Guys, girls, age groups, etc. Who's saying keep the men? Demographics. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Where, where, yeah. What are you yeah. getting out of that, Tempe? Uh, the, the women are the ones saying kill the main character off this. Surprise! Surprise! <laughs> <laughs> Well, on that note, what's your readership kind of percentage demographics? Is you, I assume, mostly women. Uh, not, not to judge. Yeah, it, I, it's about fifty-fifty, oh, okay. um, and I'm actually surprised that I have so many male readers. Um, they pick it up because of the history, um, yeah. because there's so much historically accurate stuff in there. You can get a, a lesson, a Revolutionary War lesson on battles from my first book. Let me interrupt um, if I may. This is why, this is something I, I talked to Tempe about before we got on air. 
where I mention the research, because she has researched to write a nonfiction book, a retelling of history, and then threaded her her story through it with a fictional character. Historical and this, fiction, yeah. yeah. This is one of those things that are very important because, like I said, she researched on a level for a nonfiction and then wrote fiction. So this right. is how her experience and knowledge ties in. So I just want to interrupt to give kind of that footnote oh, yeah. there, and then Tempe, go on with that. I'm very curious um, about that. I forgot. I forgot what I was saying at this. <laughs> what was she saying, Michael? He was hanging on your every word. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, the, we were people. Uh, surprise the demographics. Uh, yeah, the uh, demographics. Yeah, the the men are picking it up because of the history. Women are picking it up because of the the Highlanders and the the kind of the where it goes along with another series, TV series that's out now. It's kind of along that line. Um, but I was really surprised the amount of men that have picked it up. And the men are the ones that are going and reviewing a lot of the times, leaving my reviews for me. Um, so that's nice. that's something unexpected. May I yeah. give you? May I give you compliments? Because you're fucking adorable, and maybe they've seen you. And by the way, I don't. You just mean that, you know, all this. I mean, all of you. Just your personality, just front to back. I'm sure you could be a raging bitch when you decide to. I haven't seen it. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. I, I'm not sure about all of that, but. <laughs> well, it could be you could just write a good, solid historical story, also. And by the way, for anybody who jumped in late and missed the intros, uh. Aaron does a great job of throwing those links up for you guys at the beginning of the show. We'll also do it at the midpoint when we switch over to technical. We'll kind of give a re-intro. And Aaron, thank you so much for taking care of those links as we roll. Um, also, Lightning at any figures. point in time, Michael and Tempe, don't hesitate to throw your own links in the chat for whatever reason. Because, yeah, we're here to help our community. But there is absolutely no reason that you can't support yourself, too. Which, as Tempe pointed out, we're not always so good at supporting ourselves. Cold brew, good to see you, man. Okay, I interrupted again. Sorry. Um, so what I'm looking at, Tempe, is with this research. Actually, can I can I just jump onto this other tangent here? I want to point out in the writing world, instead of saying real and fiction, or real and fake, or real and fantasy, we have fiction as the primary storytelling label. Nonfiction is a subcategory, at least from being labeled nonfiction, it implies it's a subcategory of fiction. So, fiction is not true. Nonfiction is not not true. <laughs> By technical definition. Uh, and that's fun for me to play with when I explain it to people. Because I've had educated people going, I am confused by fiction and nonfiction. Why did they call it real and fake? And I'm like, Arr, Arr. So now we have not true and not not true. And my, and my books kind of go both ways. Because like I said, there's a lot of historically accurate stuff in it. And then there's a lot of fantasy stuff at play into it as well. And I even have trouble when I'm listing my books under the subcategories. I'm like, okay, it's time travel, it's fantasy, 
it's fiction, it's historical, what am I supposed to put this under? And so I end up with this long list where I can only put them in so many categories. Real quick. On that note, Go ahead. Uh, on that note, friggin', getting the right categories gets you to the right audience. Uh, I mean, I struggled with this one there because I write pulp. Um, Persona yeah. non grata is a pulp novel, but it falls under military sci-fi, sci-fi, uh, space, and stuff like that. But I'd argue that yours is out. not military sci-fi. It takes place in a military it, setting, but it is not that Tom Clancy level oh, of yeah, sci-fi. That's exactly it. And it's one of those, like I said, it's pulp. It's a quick, easy, friggin' story designed to be read and thrown away. Um with military and sci-fi pieces in it. It's somewhere between the hand genre for Winslow. <laughs> yeah. See, that's I, something I, I, I was, was going to yeah. jump over to you, Michael, for, because Winslow, again, we have discussions before the show, and I pointed out, just in case, like, Tempe or Michael were like, how do I fit into... I got fiction covered. Where do I get nonfiction? I pointed out where they have nonfiction threaded through their fiction. So this is an interesting thing. Michael, please continue on with that. Yeah, on the on the topic of, of nonfiction, uh, for Winslow, the um, you mentioned the the uh, journalism part of it, but there's also the the cryptozoological part of it. The because um, that's pure fact. It's yeah, <laughs> it's uh, people ask me they're they're like they're true events. I'm like they're possibly true events. <laughs> <laughs> Which is it's not not. Fake. Yeah, so I called it, uh, for that reason, the genre I ended up dubbing it was um, folkloric fantasy. It's based on folklore. It's based on uh, these creatures that people claimed to have seen. And so lots of them especially are called, in, in the cryptozoology world, they're called globsters. Uh, they're these uh, unidentified yeah, <laughs> but with a G, it's these unidentified bodies that wash ashore that people weren't sure what they were, and so I called them uh, family like had... or people that pissed me off. <laughs> and uh, so, um, and that was that was pretty cool for me because I was like, I can I can put my own uh, I can put my own stuff on top of that. I can I can use it as you know the skeletons you know haha of of, of the story and then build around it, um, like Gambo in the first chapter of. Winslow. So the research part of Winslow was uh, was reading these reports of animals not yet known to science. And then in terms of the, the journalism part of it, I used to be a journalist. I used to be on the school paper. And then afterward, I interned for a local paper. And so I learned uh, that journalistic style. And the characters, some of the main characters in Winslow are reporters. So it's about that, you know, skeptical, fact-based uh, worldview encountering something that is uh, beyond what they ever expected could be real. On, on that note, this is a conversation Travis and I have had in the past, the difference mm -hmm. between a reporter and a journalist. Uh, can you, since you've done it, can you explain that to our audience? audience? No. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Aaron, I think you were the one that brought it to light to me that there is a difference. So I yes. think you explaining it would be best because well, I think Mike, Michael's going to be fascinated by this. Okay, well, and this is how I was taught to understand it, so I'm, I may be just completely wrong. Um, uh, no, as I am on 98% of things. <laughs> uh, a, a reporter is somebody who reports facts. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. 
Um, whereas a journalist is somebody who takes the information in and journalizes it um, and then uh, gives that information out. Um, okay. Which, when you start looking yeah, at provides an account uh, of the information as opposed to reporting the facts, turns it into exactly. a story. I see. Well, we're going from a objective to a subjective kind of. Also, you'll find there are more reporters on newspaper and more journalists in TV because TV is entertainment. Now that be, that being said, um, for our younger viewing audience, uh, TVs are these things that we paper. used to have. <laughs> <laughs> they delivered it to your door. Mm, I did that. Um, couple, did really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was quite young. A couple of comments, if I may. Toby has popped in. Good to see you. Um, and she said, so many genres now. Finally figured out one of my books was Magical Realism. And uh, there's a few positive comments upon that. And Princess Shira says, yes, indeed, Michael. The strive for the truth and the balance of it all. So, uh, <clears throat> so we've talked a little bit about the voice of nonfiction. I'm going to talk a little bit about personal experience. When I wrote Steampunk for Simpletons, which is nonfiction, I wrote it with a co-author. And something we did, because we both had experience in this and we wanted different points of views, but we needed the voice to sound seamless. Yeah, We didn't absolutely. want somebody to read this and suddenly be jarred by a change in voice. Now, we did have inserts from other people in the steampunk community, quite a few of them, 24 of them, I think. And those, we wanted those voices to be very different. We wanted those to stand out as this is somebody else giving their point of view on this specific topic. But yeah, creating that voice, because we wanted this to be fun, not dry. Yeah. And balancing it between two people which I don't have a lot on this. What I had to say is I wrote something and then Wendy went through and edited it, adding her stuff in without my permission. So this was the zipper that came together to one piece and everything she wrote, I went through it and would add my things in afterwards. And nice. yeah, then when we hit the beta readers, all their corrections and everything... I feel it feels pretty seamless. But on the other hand, anybody writing nonfiction that wants to turn a profit as opposed to write a paper or make a living or, or make somebody pick up the next book, you have to have a voice. Here's what I want to question each of you about. How does the voice of fiction differ from nonfiction, whether it's on a technical level or on a personality level? And Tempe... Can you start with this, or do you need a minute to think? Um, yeah, I can start. I mean, I, I don't write, you know, nonfiction, so... Um, well, you don't, don't, don't write nonfiction. Don't, don't <laughs> you don't, don't, yeah. not, not, not. <laughs> um, and, and you've I, read I, one or two. I think this is what you mean, but uh, if I'm not, you can correct me. Um, when I write, like, for a character, I have a certain voice in my head for that character. Um, you know, I've got a British soldier with a certain voice in my head. Um, the character of John Andre, interestingly enough, sounds like J.J. Field, 
because he was in turn as Major John Andre. So everything I write, I hear in his voice. Um, and that's how I kind of keep things separate. And I'll walk around the house all the time and in a British accent, you know, saying things out loud. To can, put in the book. can you, can oh, you do know. a little? Can you give us a rambling dialogue by your British soldier, please? Okay, we're going to jump over to Michael real quick, and then we're going to jump back to you, because it won't be off topic. And then, no pressure. You got somewhere between 30 seconds and 7 minutes. We'll see. So what about you, Michael? How, when, because, by the way, has have any of you ever blogged? Yes. Okay, nonfiction. Yeah? You're right. Yeah, didn't even think about it. And I thought of this like a few minutes ago, and I'm like, oh, I've got to bring that up because that might yeah, – I yeah. hate blogging. I hate doing it. I hate writing newsletters. hate blogging. hate all that real stuff. But yeah. it's still a valid form of writing, a very valid form of writing that's very entertaining and very popular. It is yeah, the written like version public, of a podcast. Uh, diary, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead, Michael. It's like a public yeah. diary. You mean other yeah. people can read it? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> that public – So mull that over that. in your head, and when we come back for your British soldiers rambling mental dialogue, talk a little bit about the blogging. Pull that in, because that is a nonfiction thing that you were doing there. Now, and now how... I, I don't put mental dialogue in my books. Mm-hmm. That's another thing. I don't use mental dialogue. Mine is strictly conversation stuff. Occasionally, I'll put some in for the main character. Are the you others, I sure about that? Because I remember I asked Tara about mental dialogue, and she referenced how you do it. Well, I guess I don't look at it that way as mental dialogue, maybe. She and I are looking at it two different ways. Well, you're probably looking at it in a very similar way to where my entire story happens as it's being conveyed from one character. He never directly speaks in the novel. He never quotes himself. Um, So I say I wrote a book where the main character never talks. Um, Uh, I guess if it's first-person dialogue, then... It is, in a way, mental or first-person narration, yeah. rather. Maybe in that's a, in what a way. Yeah. Maybe that's what she's referring to. You ever Which, use italics? To, to, you ever use italics without quotes on anything somebody's saying? No. Okay. And by the <laughs> way, let's jump. So. Let's jump back I to have, Michael not, yeah. and let him that's voice some thoughts here. So about the whole separating the nonfiction voice from the fiction voice and what your differences are when writing your voice in nonfiction versus a character voice in fiction. Where's the line? What's the difference? How's that work? Well, uh, you may be like taking little little drops of your own personality or personalities of or personality types that you've encountered in the real world. And uh, something that you can latch onto, and putting that in there, and it's just about spending a lot of mental time with your characters and knowing them really well, so that you can drop them into whatever situation you need to, and have them like instinctively respond. In a way, it's like acting, you know. In a way, you're assuming that character, so so you can like 
feel out feel out the situation in real time. I'm going to throw a real quick tangent in here for all three of you. So if somebody's talking, you need to turn, wave at them at the camera, let them know. How do you get to know your characters? How do you do it? Because that's one thing. And there were, I bring this up because I had a great beta reader who just read Portal's book one. And she gave the advice. By the way, it's Elizabeth on Monday nights who's a screenwriter. So she comes at it from a very <coughs> Hollywood point of view. And she said, give your characters more distinctive voices. Make sure people can tell who's talking if you never put character A said, character B said. Which isn't to say you heavily accent it, or now maybe it's a trigger word, maybe it's uh, a certain dialect, maybe. But how do you guys do it? Michael, how do you separate that? Um, it's kind of a it's kind of a mystical thing, so it's hard to say exactly how it happens. But it's usually it, it's uh, uh, some of it happens before. Tis the season for those irresistible ginger thins, cozy blankets for cuddling by the fire, and making home warm and welcoming. For one stop holiday shopping, visit your local IKEA or ikea-usa.com/holiday. Need appliances? Don't wait for Black Friday. Get to Bray Friday. Going on now at Bray & Scarf. Make your one-on-one -on -one VIP appointment for huge appliance savings in-store and online. Get doorbuster deals like a GE 27 cubic foot stainless steel French door refrigerator with fingerprint resistant finish for just $15.99. Save $700. Don't miss the Bray Friday savings. Shop local at Bray & Scarf, where it doesn't cost more to get more. It's like getting to know any real person, um, watching how they interact, watching and noticing, like even subconsciously, you may be giving your characters habits. And then you ask, I wonder why they have that habit. And then that your, your mind, your, your puzzle solving part of your mind starts putting that those bits together. Beautifully and, said, man. Keep going. Yeah. And then I want to give it to Aaron because I've been totally word blocking him for a minute fledged person um you know and i, I wonder i because even like winslow's dialect like the first the first part of winslow that ever came through was the first line without any context it was the have you ever stared straight into the eyes of death and scoffed and i wrote that down and put it in a document and then didn't touch it for a while because i didn't know what he was talking about oh uh, that's um, our new ringtone by the way <laughs> <laughs> yeah somebody and, clipped uh, that so i could get that on my phone so whenever mike texts me <laughs> Or calls me. Should I do? Should I do a Winslow ringtone? Oh yeah. Hell yeah! Send me an MP3. I'll put it on my phone so every time you call, it's like, oh, what the hell is that? You're staring in the eyes of death. Ahoy! Your talkie box is ringing. <laughs> That's what I call a vagina. But please go on. <laughs> Why is it growling? <laughs> oh boy. This will uh, hurt. Oh boy. Uh, let's see. Um. And then, like, uh, the dialect. The dialect is an interesting way, where the character comes from. Um, and Winslow, that, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, Winslow, I, I'm, his, his accent is like a mosaic of so many different places that he must have lived and must have been to because he's a, he's a nomadic guy and he's been all over the world. Um, but based on, based on his verbal habits, I think he originated in the American South. Um, 
The but, south, you know, really? I thought it was more yeah, northeastern. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, no, it's he's definitely in the south. He's somewhere in the south. Because um, he and I noticed that you know he says like fur a lot, and that's something that I say. <laughs> uh, like for instance, like and stuff. So, and I didn't. Uh, I was I was I was mentioning that to um, to some some people and they were and they were like they were like oh do we say that I was, I was like I was like yeah listen to yourself sometimes <laughs> for sure you, know, you don't really for sure yeah for, 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 for. and uh, but anyway it's just interesting stuff and and um, like in, in Winslow the dialect is very important and um, and then sometimes like like you know Keeley has uh, for instance the uh, bartender he's got like a tattoo and the tattoo is in Gaelic and like these little and it's these things that happen in, in, in the spur of the moment as you're writing it, and then you may be putting in a detail, and then and then you're subconsciously wondering, what does that detail mean? And as you answer that, um, then that, and when you have a mental answer, then that can inform how you further write the character. And eventually, you have this uh, this this deep like personal connection and understanding with these characters as if they're real people, and. That, that just informs how it makes more realistic how they If I may, real quick, for everybody out there writing, and you've heard me going, I'm writing a book a month, etc. This is a depth that when you're quick writing, or quick writing one book and then jumping to a different book, I don't think you get it, that depth that is, that Michael is describing. That is a beautiful depth once you connect with your characters or dig into your characters or dredge up the underneath the, the silt of your character's personality that's a beautiful thing now tempe is probably getting that in hers because she's done such an extensive volume and track of her yeah. individual characters so there's more layers coming out more things coming out here and again i want to give Aaron a turn to speak and by the way i love it when we get tempe talking because you guys if watching or listening you will notice tempe tends to stay quiet Till we poke her just right, and then she'll get talking. And that's a beautiful thing about you <laughs> writers and our writer friends and our creative friends. You just got to get the right question, and suddenly they're they're off and going. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen anybody else this week, so you guys. Oh, well, there, there. <laughs> it's our self isolation <laughs> thing going on. Um, Social distancing. Chris? Social distancing. Hey. <laughs> We've done that for years. That's right. Someone clipped it. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate that clip. Aaron, so the same question for you, which is actually now two questions. The voice of separating fiction, nonfiction. What's the okay. difference? And then some of the other stuff that Michael has talked about that I almost want to bookmark those just so I can go back and listen to what he just said. So, Michael, if you ever question your value because of your age... You've said some very beautiful things right here in the past five, ten minutes, man. So thank, thank you. you for that. Aaron, you got some stuff? Okay. Uh, on uh, nonfiction uh, stuff, especially the persuasives, I'm argumentative. I'm a dick. Uh, I will – well, and this is one of those ones where uh, when me and my writing partner were working on this, we wrote a data-heavy – piece and i kind of linked everything together so he figured out okay this is where we need data this is where we need this uh but i used phrasing that is designed to incite anger to get people to read it um and yeah. here's just a quick blurb of it uh where i go okay we're talking about exaggeration of specific traits unintentional calling of the traits 
and then I refer to it as a breeding experiment, which if you're talking about people that way, some people get mad, which was my goal, because if they're mad, they're talking about it, they're arguing with it, they'll respond to it, and then other people kind of create that same uh, viral daisy chain effect. I got, I probably have more views on Thank you, Tracy. either one of my articles. Here's your bits. Go on, Aaron. Uh, uh, on it, on either one of my articles that I do on on my book, um, just because that's piece of there. But going on to your second question, I've always kind of taken it as a three act play. Uh, going back to kind of Elizabeth's concept, I'm viewing it as a movie. Um, what's happening here? Where's my pacing? What's going on here? Who are these characters? And if you're not seeing them, do they sound distinct? So my narrator, the main character of the novel, he's got a very strong, common voice throughout, but it's not argumentative. He's just telling a story. Common voice um, is an interesting phrase right there, by the way, and a valuable yeah. phrase because, not to interrupt and pull you into yet another tangent, but it's my specialty. Common voice that is still distinct is a, it's an art form almost. Creating a voice that a lot of people can relate to. I'm reading The Expanse right now via audiobook. And the main character, James Holden, who I suspect, the author whose first name is James, has a lot of him in him. He's well, still, that's, that's a pen name, just so you know. It's two people. Is it? Oh, I didn't know that. Thank you, Aaron. That's good to know. Um, but again, they might be pulling a lot of themselves into that primary character that's threading through all yeah. the books. Uh, but go on, Aaron. Common... Uh, so I create this common voice for the one character, and then I, as I introduce these other characters, uh, there's probably only eight characters in the entire novel. Um, the first one you meet after the narrator is uh, it the cat? Is his love interest? Oh, no, no. But we'll we'll talk about the cat later, though. Um, but uh, the first one you meet after that is his love interest, and she's got a voice that is polar opposite of him. Um, and then you, you're introduced to the third and fourth characters. One is an older guy, and it's like, oh, okay. And he's just there to present kind of an authority figure to look at. And then the next one is the ship. Um, guy named uh, The ship's name is Hart. Um, and, and spell that. Hart, uh, just like a beating heart. There we go. As opposed to the bunny. Or, I'm sorry, deer. Deer, I'm sorry. Spacey again. <laughs> Because a deer is often called a heart, H-A-R-T. Mm -hmm. But go on. Yep. Strangely enough, uh, deer have bucks and does, and so do rabbits. They are bucks and does. No True way. Story. Yes. Or vegetarian. There's friends. so many interesting words for animals. Every mm -hmm. every group of animals has a unique name. You know, what the, you know what the unique name of a baboon is uh, for a congregation of them? Oh, I knew it at one point. I know this. No, I don't remember. What is it? Whereas owls are a parliament, baboons are a congress. A congress. <laughs> Which is very fitting in modern reference, right? <laughs> parliament of owls. Wow, that's really cool. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, where I going back to Hart, Hart's, Hart is really the main character of the novel. He is the one we're telling this story about. The narrator just happens to be the one that's in every scene. Yeah. Um, but I had to create something that was... He is in. He's a ship. He is a person, but he's not a person. So, so he, he has a unique voice. Yeah. He. Okay, which is rare for a ship of any mm -hmm. sort, because usually 
they're referred to by sailors, whether it's space or ocean going, as yeah. she's. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but he has a distinctly male personality. Yeah. Um, to contrast that, though, uh, submarines are known as he. Really? Interesting. I did yes, not know that. I never knew that. Huh. Why? That's so cool. Germans. <laughs> <laughs> Let me read a few hey. comments. And then I will let Aaron finish, and then I want to go back to Tempe, because I don't think, unless if I, I have spaced out again, I don't think Tempe got to uh, comment on this. A couple things. Princess Shira says, I'm, I've definitely felt that, referring to what Michael was saying, when I've created my characters. I feel tears in my eyes to feel what they're feeling in a moment of weakness or frustrated. It does help. Which, yeah. comment on that real quick and short. I always hope anybody just one person who reads it feels what i felt because i have written with tears in my eyes even on these quick novels and i just hope somebody else gets that emotion that this character is feeling even on a simple just two paragraphs where the character is getting choked up for some unknown reason i'm hoping that moment rings true with somebody where they go i get that i get it yeah there's a great robert frost uh phrase about that which is um, uh, something to the effect of, like, to, for there to be tears in the reader, there must be tears in the writer. Oh, I was so. thinking of the other Robert Frost, screw them hoes. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. <laughs> is he a rapper? <laughs> One of the first. So, Aaron, finish your thought, and let's pass it over to Tempe and give her a chance to go on this. Okay. Um, really, uh, kind of what Michael does is I'm creating a unique person in there, um, but I'm also contrasting them off because uh, you want them to be different. So I've got the narrator, and then I introduce another person. She's the opposite. Now I've got to find something that's 90 degrees from both of them mm. and so on and so forth. So everybody's a little bit different. You don't want your characters to merge together, together to where they, they get, get confusing. confusing. So uh, who's one of the opposite things, of your ship? Uh, probably on that one is going to be the general. Uh, when he's intru- when he's introduced, because he's the one immediately prior to him, um, and the concept that I went with was okay. We've got our narrator; he's got his love interest. She introduces him to this general, who's kind of a what our narrator could be fifty years from now. Um, and then I flip it instead of the emotion, the charismatic leadership that we got with this guy, I go to an analytical mode. Um, with the other one, but playful. Uh, so it's not just playing. So you still have charisma with it. Exactly. Very good. I love the sound of this. I gotta, I gotta read this. <laughs> it's really, there's one reason that I, I've mentioned, well, actually, there's multiple reasons I've mentioned. Read each other's books. So, A, we could pimp the others. Uh, yeah, definitely. But, B, so yeah, we can see ride. different things amongst us to compare and contrast our skill set or bend, if you will, to what we do versus the others and, and help support each other and learn and grow from one another mm-hmm. or yeah. criticize and help that person improve theirs. So, and this goes across the board for our viewers, for our listeners and for ourselves personally. Aaron, anything else before I uh, go yank over here and, and we get a mental dialogue from a British soldier? Yeah. <laughs> no, just uh, on your last thought about reading other people's works. Uh, one of the best things that I did was beta reading others while I was uh, having my own beta read. And you kind of trade off, you do a round robin with a variety of people, but you get the 
to look at other things and go, oh, am I doing this? Um, nothing makes you change when you realize that you're doing the same thing that annoys you in another no, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's or that you love in somebody out. else's. If you're like, oh my God, I love what they're doing. Am I doing that? Yeah, yeah. So it works both ways. Okay, yeah. good, Aaron? It's true. Yes, sir. Tempe? Uh, well, you're going back to the dialogue now. I, I, I want to hear your British accent real quick. Let's, let's no. <laughs> okay, no like pressure. <laughs> you want to hear the worst Southern British accent? Foghorn Leghorn? Foghorn Leghorn. Son, I say son. Okay, I'll read a chapter, and this is... Not a whole chapter. Story time. Paragraph. Librarian. Old lady who has to have these over her contacts. Stick it with librarian, baby. Okay, so you can't make fun of my accent. Okay, so this is Major John Andre. Allow me to explain. I received intelligence from one of my agents behind enemy lines late last evening about a British officer in Oyster Bay that was sending information to the Continental Army. We questioned him, and of course he denied any wrongdoing, but when we searched his residence this morning, we found proof of his treachery in the form of the papers that were hidden inside his mattress. He obviously wasn't smart enough to burn them, which is of no surprise to anyone who has the misfortune of knowing him. Not only that, we located damning evidence that he was involved, if not masterminding, your kidnapping. Now, may I criticize? Criticize away. Same criticism I gave Michael. Slow it down. If you ever do a live uh, reading, take your okay. time. We all go too fast. But that was a decent reading. Right. But your improvement, I think, for me, slow it down. Look at the camera, find your place again, because we all pause while talking. Unless I we're can't just look at the camera and read. Well, that's under- <laughs> but no, you you pause, just like uh, the the character would pause right. for. But anyhow, that's something. If we ever do live reading, slow it down more than you think you should. But no, I think okay. you did great there. Yes, British accent in America. Yeah. You know, oh, you did miss an opportunity because he says Oyster Bay and a collective noun for oysters is a bed. So you got the opportunity to get into bed with the oysters. Oh, there you go. Bits being thrown for Tempe. Thank you, Tracy. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So, Tempe, your thoughts on separating voice, creating voice, fiction versus um, nonfiction, and go on. Yeah, I do. I like. I have. I have an American. I have a couple of um, Scottish in mind. I have a couple, I have a slave and a few slaves in mind. Um, I break up the Scottish people with one word instead of you, I use ye mm-hmm. just to kind of separate it that way. Um, so they don't all sound like Scrooge McDuck? Right. <laughs> right. right. So, um, and, you know, like with the, the dialect, I, I do have a slave in the book and I got a review on this when I first released the book and Ooh, I went back reviews. and looked, yeah, I went back and I looked cause she, she marked it as editing issues. And I'm like, what the heck? So I pulled it up to the part that she said she found them in. And it was actually where the slave person was there, the slave lady. And it was the dialect was different. And when I looked up this lady's um, profile, she's in the UK. So she wouldn't realize that there's a dialect difference, okay. you know, where I'm around revolution.
revolutionary war people all the time here in Williamsburg, she wouldn't realize that there's going to be a different dialect there. And she's, she said it was editing issues, but it really wasn't. It was meant to come off as that dialect. Um, yeah. So, you know, because it concerned me. I went back and I'm like, editing issues? What the heck? But yeah. And so. we've got five minutes left before we go into the technical hour. So, well, I mean, finish right. your thought. Let's give some closing thoughts on this. And I love it when we end a topic before we're done because it means we've got more. And that's a beautiful thing right there. So, Tim. Oh, well, it kind of goes back to last week's discussion. Check out that podcast uh, where <laughs> where we talked about, okay, hey, if you got a beta reader or any reviewer, the two-agree rule, one of them can be you, uh, where you go, oh, I see what she's saying. She's not correct in this context, but, hey, you may have gone, oh, shit, I missed that. Um, whereas, friggin' I went through and I spelled break wrong, uh, as in break uh, rather than hit the brakes, yeah. uh, because I'm horrible at homonyms when I'm typing. Um, That's an easy I, one to mix up. University of Maryland Global Campus was established to bring a respected state university education to working adults at home and abroad. 70 years ago, we sent professors overseas to educate service members and their families on military installations and on the front lines. Today, we're online because that's where working adults need us, that's where you need us. We'll support your commitment to being a successful student with services that fit your lifestyle. And we offer more than 90 programs and specializations for where you are and where you want to be. University of Maryland University College is now University of Maryland Global Campus. We go the distance because times have changed, but what we're made for hasn't. UMGC offers online support for veterans, including resources at the Veterans Resource Center, no-cost digital materials replacing most textbooks, virtual advising, transfer credits, and lifetime career services. Speak to our dedicated military and veterans advisors who can help you find the right degree for your career path. Visit umgc.edu. Certified to operate in Virginia by Chev. With MailChimp, you get more than a URL. You get an all-in-one marketing platform to help drive sales. With things like data-driven recommendations and powerful automation tools. Get started today at MailChimp.com slash smartmarketing. MailChimp, built for growing businesses. Well, no, it's one of those, if you ask me how to spell either one of them normally, oh, yeah, it's such and such. But yeah, yeah. the fact that uh, I, as I'm typing, it's going through my head, I'm not spelling words as I think them. I'm just... Gotcha. Right. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, again, like I said, if somebody in another country wouldn't necessarily understand oh, yeah. that dialect. So, um, but yeah, also, that's, that's I think something to remember when writing dialects, especially anybody speaking English, if English or whatever language you're writing it is their second language, quite often there is very specific words that are the words that you'll misspell or spell like fur instead of for. Um, but also shortened sentences, clipped sentences. Because they, not necessarily translating in their head once they're fluent, but there is still a pattern they used when learning. And that yep. doesn't necessarily flow as freely. It flows in a different way with definitive breaks in it. Mm -hmm. So final thoughts on nonfiction versus fiction. Any thoughts at all, even things we didn't mention. Uh, shall we just go... Well, how about we go reverse order? Why don't we start with Michael, go to Aaron, and then Tempe. We'll wrap up the topic and go into our second hour. Michael? In terms of, uh, yeah, in terms of, uh, I want to, on, on dialect again, um, 
dialect was dialect was a very important part of uh, of Winslow. And I remember and and that that editing uh, thing you mentioned reminded me that in my first draft of Winslow before I sent it to the editor, at the last minute I had changed. I thought that because um, I spell all of Winslow's twos as uh, tas, so straight inta, you know, uh, as ta. And um, I thought that that might have been too hard to understand because you know he's got so many accented words. So I went through and I changed them all to two, and I sent them to the editor. And then when he got it, um, he wrote me back, and one of his one of his uh, first things, they, he's like, "I really think that the two should be tuz." I was like, "I was like, no way! That's what they originally were." <laughs> and he's like, "He's like, yeah, based on how all the other words sound, that's how it ought to sound. That's what he would say." And I'm like, I am so glad you said that, <laughs> but it, that created a lot of new work agree. for me. But good work. Um, so I went through, and I'm glad I did it because it's a it's a really unique uh, and and something that makes his his lines distinct from the other lines. And that's a great way to limit your need for tags is to just is to have such a you know, such a clear accent coming through in the in the lines. And by tags, you mean within the Bob said. Mary yeah, said. The, the said and the asked and the explained. Aaron, any closing thoughts on this? Uh, the big thing is, what's your goal? How are you doing things? Uh, if you're telling a story, mm. fiction's the way to go because you can. There's puffery. You can do all kinds of things with it. Um, if you're making an argument, nonfiction's kind of where I lean to. Or if you're conveying information, you get deep into the technical. Um, but yeah, it's a. It, Really, it's what are you trying to do? Because they, they're all great methods, but you wouldn't make a movie where a TV series is better um, or, or a documentary. <laughs> Hollywood, you're not talking to them, that's for sure. <laughs> well, no, no, but uh, what is it? They've got two or three Mr. Rogers biopics coming out now. Uh, one, which was all him, the Tom Hanks one. Um, those are different formats because they're doing different things. Um, and... The Tom Hanks one, it's fiction based on a true story, whereas the Would You Be My Neighbor is nonfiction because it's just, hey, here's this. It may be edited together, but everything that happens there was true. Yeah. It's like a matter of whose story you're telling, if it's someone else's story. And Tempe? Yeah, um, yeah I mean, it doesn't take. It can, you only need a few words to change up the dialect. Like I said, yeah. with the Scottish accent, I just change one word. Um, yep. And you can automatically distinguish the characters who's speaking at that point. So, mm -hmm. you know, just you keep it simple and you can move it right through. Yeah, yeah. Here's my closing thoughts on it. Anybody that's writing fiction, you have nonfiction threaded through it. And it's a matter of balancing it. And if you have nonfiction, threading fiction in it in the way of voice is invaluable for retaining your audience's attention. Giving it that passion, whether it's your own voice or the people that you've researched or whatever, is invaluable to nonfiction. So don't think you're only writing one. As a writer, it is a blend of the two almost all the time. Always exception to every rule and so on. So now yeah. we're heading into our second hour. We're going to switch the topic to fonts and... Does anybody need a break? And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to do our breaks differently. Instead of having a solid break of everybody going, if somebody needs a break, I'm going to get somebody talking here, and then somebody, one at a time, will disappear off the screen to go get our refills or whatever we need to do. So who needs a break? 
Really? No bite? I'm awesome. Good. Yeah, Here, good. Here's where I'm going to uh, One quick thing, though. Yeah. I know we're switching there. Uh, hey, everybody, we, uh, we're we out here every day. Travis has got a, a link it down at the bottoms of people that uh, help us, that have supported us. Go check them out, please. Um, whether it's Tempe, Michael, Travis's own books. We've got uh, John over Jersey's Cards and Comics. Check them out. Uh, we've linked Purveyor of the, the Unusual. Um, and Thank you. those that support you he's more than likely to pop you up there as well and by the way up right now for anybody who's listening to this years from now the coronavirus is going on right now and it's brand new friday the 13th it came to the mainstream usa and right now if you're looking for things to do don't forget supporting your artists your creative people is a great way to give you a distraction while you're self-isolated air quoting that one um, or whatever. So look for these people. Look for these things. Tempe, thank you for popping that up. Instagram is a great way to keep yes. with us on a personal level as well as on a professional level. You'll see a blend of both in most of ours, and that's something as creators, we constantly argue with ourselves and each other about how much you put of one versus the other. So, yeah, check that out. Make sure you're supporting those folks. Not just us, but even local restaurants or whatever, um, yeah. putting together those to-go orders, putting together whatever online ordering you can do of your art supplies from a small business. Keep those in mind. I will guarantee Amazon, Walmart, Target, Lowe's, they will all continue to exist. The rest of us help each other out. So... Going into our second hour where we're going to discuss fonts. We're going to do another quick reintroduction for anybody who came in late or ignored the beginning. I am Travis Sivard. I have written quite a few books. Right now I'm working on my second book in the Portal series. And other than that, if you want something good and solid, which is one of my starter books, so the later books, check them out afterwards. Uh, the Downfall series, Harbinger Book 1 is out, and I'll be working on book 2 later this year, which is going to be written predominantly 13 years after the original was written, so it'll be a very different writing style with a lot more in it that I've picked up. Tempe, intro? I'm Tempe Wade. I'm the author of the Timely Revolution book series. Uh, currently have four out, working on getting number five out, uh, working on number nine, and a romance series. So it's if you're if you like historical fiction mixed with you know, a little bit of fantasy and a little bit of Celtic lore and a little bit of Revolutionary War history, uh, check them out. Aaron? Uh, Aaron Kennedy, Ships of Valor. Uh, I've got a couple things that I've linked previously in there. Uh, Sci-fi, pulp fiction, uh, and nonfiction works. Uh, next thing that's out is going to be uh, Do We Adequately Teach Running? Michael. Michael Thompson, author, illustrator, Realm Hopper. Write all sorts of cool stuff. Uh, since we're talking about fonts, I'll show this book because I really like this font. World of the Orb, portal fantasy adventure about two best buds, lost in a medieval world, magic, monsters, all sorts of cool stuff. This is where I want to start, right here with covers. Because fonts were like, that's kind of a dry topic. No, it's not. Super important. And we have primary fonts inside the book that most of us use, and I wish Tara was here to discuss the dyslexic font, but we'll touch on that. Michael, Aaron, Tempe. When you choose the fonts for your covers, 
Let's talk with that. And Michael, you just flashed your book. Let's start with you and roll to Tempe afterwards. I'll be right back. Go ahead, Michael. All right. Well, roll of the orb. Uh, first off, you got to make sure that your font is available and free to use for commercial purposes. So that's that's the number one thing you do. Um, fun fact about this font, it's actually the same font. Uh, I found out it was, it was rather magical. It was the same font of the first bookstore that ever um, stocked it on their shelves. Uh, on, their, on the side of the bookstore, they had the same exact font, and I thought that was really cool and symbolic. Um, but yeah, so it, it's a matter of uh, fonts, in a way, are kind of like, uh, it, 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 it's an art, you know? It, it conveys a certain emotion, it conveys a certain feeling, and you want to find something that matches the tone. And I really liked the curly sort of... Um, serif. Yeah. Curly Seraph, and you know the kids go go through a portal in the Museum of Natural History, and uh, these little disconnected uh, curly cues inside some of the vowels here um, look like look like portals. Uh, so that was something that drew me to it. So finding something that subconsciously matches the tone of your book and is also clear and has a good uh, distance read and and then good contrast, but that's 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 different than the font itself. But um, yeah, so so tone and uh, and then just whatever strikes your fancy and subconsciously sort of evokes what you're trying to do. So it's well, an art. Yeah. Well, I mean, on that note, Brigham, I think I mentioned it last week uh, in the Marvel universe and the uh, the characters. There's a couple characters that have very distinct stylized fonts. Thor is one. He yeah. his comes off. Uh, Every time Thor talks, it's, oh, yeah, he's yeah, got yeah. his own distinct font. Deadpool is yeah. another one, uh, and because they say, okay, well, we understand how Thor talks. He talks like a Viking, uh, yeah. whereas Deadpool, they say he sounds like gasoline on gravel because of all the damage. Yeah. But uh, whereas the book, if you're doing the same thing, it's one of those, oh, this is the kind of book based on the font that I've got here. Yours evokes images of, um, well, fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, the the comic book callouts and the and the word bubbles. It's a really good point because um, that's a cool way to subconsciously make people read it, read it in a certain way, Very in a certain dialect. Um, yeah, yeah. I remember I remember when I saw Thor's speech bubbles, and uh, and automatically he sounded like this in, in your head, and I thought that was really cool. And I was like, ah, so lots of cool stuff you can learn from it. So Tempe, show us a couple of your book covers. Because you have different okay. fonts on your different covers, yeah? You have great no, covers. No, they're, thank you. They're all the same. They're all Times Roman, Roman numeral. Um, Which is interesting what, what most people would say, oh, that's so bland, but yours aren't. Um, what? It, what my cover artist did, she, like on the O's, she ran around and put a little gold around the side of them, too. Mm -hmm. But Times Roman, Roman is a little, you know, it's a little more stately. Well, yeah. it, that it gives yeah. a very historical feel. If I was just yeah. looking at that sitting on a shelf, I'd go, "Oh wow, that is a, it's a history novel." And then yeah. you pick it up and you go, "Oh, this is more than just a history novel," because uh, that's uh, you look at any books by like generals or statesmen and things like that. It's got yeah. a very similar look and feel uh, based just on your covers. And you need right. something classic uh, for the time period. And I think that the height that she gave the letters. Um, they are elongated. Great. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. So that, that that can change that can change the whole game. Yeah. Changing the and, height and the width. Yeah, and and it's important too if you've got a series like I do, 
stick with the same one on the covers. Yep. Change up the cover art, but keep the same font. So you've got that consistency when somebody is looking at it on your table. So because if you change up the fonts and do a different book style, book cover, they're going to think it's a different series or a different book altogether. So that consistency is really important. That's definitely reasonable there. Uh, there may be exceptions to that rule. For example, if you have a different primary character or something within the same series or something like that, sure, then. But I, I think I generally agree with you overall there. Um, and I have my own reasons for using that because that's the font that I use inside the book, but we'll go into that later. So We can go into that right now if you want. I don't mind. Yeah, this uh, is please. freeform, so well, yeah. Go on. I, I have issues, like I said, with my eyesight. And Times Roman is one of the ones that I can actually see really well. Um, and so that's why I kind of generally stick with that. And when I'm typing anything, whether it's a resume, whether it's a um, book, you know, just a regular email, that's the font that I use because it's just easier on me. Well, I mean, on that note, it, I mean, it's 90 years, uh, Times New Roman's 90 years old. It's There's a reason it's the industry standard is because New York Times figured out, oh, this is a good font to work with. Right. Uh, and it's clean. It's easy to read. People with paper that's this far away. Um, um, so, so that's just a smart play. What are the other right. primaries? I'm going to say Garamond and Calibri, Times New Roman, uh, uh, Ariel. Ariel Courier. Uh, and Georgia. 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 Yeah. Georgia's kind of the preferred font inside Kindles because uh, it's clean and it shows up really well. Times New Roman, uh, because it's on a screen, tends to blur just a little bit for some folks. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Courier is uh, every space has got this, every letter's got the same amount of space on it. Mm-hmm. Um, Times New Roman expands and contracts based on the letters. What do you yeah. choose, Aaron, in your book? Uh, so on the inside, I use Georgia. Um, I stuck to, to form. I wanted something that it looks clean, neat, simple. Uh, I had originally written it in Courier just to give myself a consistency, and then I was like, no, uh, the spacing's a little bit off. It's harder to read. Um, Courier's great if you're doing like military stuff, because that's Times New Roman. Um, you can have the same paper in Times New Roman as you do in Courier, but for whatever reason, Courier will give it more gravitas. Um, and it's something subliminal about it. Uh, but Georgia kind of splits the difference between the two. Um, it's clean. Um, it's easy to read, especially on a Kindle screen, a small one. Um, uh, and on phones too, which is kind of nice. Uh, my external font on the book was, uh, I actually had a guy named Jeff uh, Berger. He did the cover. He did the font. So, uh, it's not a normal font. It's just, he created it. Michael, what are you using? Did you use a different one between your different books? Every book has a different font, yeah. Tell us. Uh, let's see. Okay, so uh, Chicken Boy Chicken Boy originally was Times New Roman, but for the new one, I, I did a new format, new new size for uh, Chicken Boy. Um, on the cover, I, I hand draw all the letters. Uh, inside, uh, the font for the titles is Wallaby. And the font for the body is Georgia. In World of the Orb, the uh, I've got a few fonts for World of the Orb. Uh, the cover is Devin Swash. The um, now the headings on of the tra- of the chapters inside are different than 
uh, the outside because the Vince Wash, while I love it, the kerning is abysmal. So <laughs> the the space the spacing was 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 insane. Um, so it's a mercur um, mercurial mercurius. Probably mercurial. Uh, is mercurial something like that some some version of that and it's a high tower text which took me a long time to decide uh for the body um high tower text it's it's a at capella university you're in control of your education with the game-changing flex path format you can set your own deadlines and move at your own pace the faster you move the more you save visit capella.edu to learn more Tis the season for those irresistible ginger thins, cozy blankets for cuddling by the fire, and making home warm and welcoming. For one-stop holiday shopping, visit your local IKEA or ikea-usa.com slash holiday. A little bit wider, and it has these sharp, um, beautiful uh, serifs. And then, and then for Winslow, uh, it is Book Antiqua. Uh, for the body, and then the up, and that's the same as the upper part of the title. And yeah, I think I, uh, all the titles are, are book antiqua. Um, that had a nice, nice antique look to it. And Winslow's a classic guy. He likes thing. He likes things old and trusty. Classic, not <laughs> <What>? classy. <laughs> classic, yeah. So with mine, I went with Garamon. But the only reason mm-hmm. I did that. <clears throat> is because when I pulled down the Amazon template, that's what they had. And I figured they have millions of dollars and hours of research into it. If they put that on their template, it was for a reason. And then I could be lazy and just roll forward. So it's not a great reason I chose that one. And I love the fact that you guys actually have other reasons besides, uh, it looked like that's what worked for other people. Yeah. Um, now, for those of you that are like, Fonts are so boring. Here's something I'm going to tell you about writers. Um, newer writers quite often go, I have this many pages. As they just mentioned, spacing in letters will change your page count. You change yeah. your font across a 150-page book, it could suddenly be 175 or 135 pages depending on the font. This is why yeah. we go by word count as authors, as writers. Um, I've had a lot of newer writers go, but what's the page count? I'm like, it doesn't matter. If I throw double spacing in there like we often do on first drafts versus what the actual formatting will be in the final book, and also if you have a 10 font versus a 14 font, depending on what you're going for, it all changes your page count without changing your word count. It doesn't change how long it takes somebody to read it. It just changes page count. And I have seen, especially self-published authors, and I am self-published, so I'm not throwing stones here, guys. I have seen self-published authors turn that shit up to double spacing and 16 font. And I'm like, you're just cheating because you only wrote 27,000 words and you wanted to make it feel like a 60,000-word book when somebody picks it up and holds it in their hand. Yeah. It can depend on what book you're writing. Generally, the bigger the font size, the younger the audience. Right. Yep. Uh, well, and well, there's an inverse to that as well because as you get older, you're going to want to sway away from those 12s and into the 14s. 14 was kind of the recommendation I got from uh, like my parents and stuff because that that's what they'll default it to on their devices and stuff to that effect. Uh, I think I published at 13. If I may, when it comes to devices and Tempe, maybe you're going to say the same thing. If not, I'll pass it right over to you. 
That's something else to keep in mind. A lot of book sales are now electronic books. Because of that, your reader can control the font size. So, don't worry so much about the font size. Go with the industry standard, which tends to be 11 to 13, right? 12 seems to be the average. And correct me if somebody thinks different or knows different. No, um, no, 12 is the default. And then for, as he said, friggin', right. hey, if you're younger, it gets bigger. But if you're going to write an epic fantasy, maybe it's better to drop that to an 11, 10. I don't recommend it. But sometimes you don't want a 600-page book because printing that, the price... The cost to the author to print that is incredible. So, what, what do you got, Aaron? And then oh, no, no, no. A lot of times people are going to, uh, your agents and things like that, uh, your page count needs to be in 16s as well. Really? Because when they take oh, it's true. Uh, well, yes. Because when they fold it to do this and do the cuts and everything, it's one page that's folded 16 ways. Or eight ways to create sixteen pages. So, but they're leafed together like little mini books inside of a regular book. So they want to. That way, they're not wasting paper. That's a um, and really that's good technical concern. point right there. So, Tempe, you were waving fingers. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I now I I inadvertently did mine at fourteen on the first book, um, and I ended up keeping it because, again, with my eyesight, I can't see twelve. I mean, I can do 12 when I'm typing and enlarge the screen, and I still can't see it. So um, I inadvertently published it in 14, but I'm finding that my age group that reads this is mostly over 30, over 40, that age group, and they appreciate the bigger font, yeah. <laughs> you know, because it's, it's yes. not such a strain on the eyes. There's also a difference. I just mentioned, oh, a lot of ours are nowadays electronic. Michael, Tempe, myself, Aaron, not so much. We will sit at a table at a convention selling paper copies of our books. And because of that, when people pick it up, this does make a difference. And even if you do publish it in 14, if somebody doesn't like that on their Kindle or whatever device, make it smaller. No big deal. Easy for them. So keep all that in mind overall. Um, this is the business side. This is the technical side. Um, something I'll say back to book covers is be careful. Go jump on Amazon or whatever your favorite bookseller is and look at covers. Also realize how many letters disappear on certain fonts. I have seen some beautiful fonts that I so want to use, but you can't read that title at a glance. That's a bad font. You're better off going with a plain font that somebody can catch it like that than something that looks beautiful that they're like, your Gaelic letters are killing me, dude. Well, I mean, no, even like uh, Walt Disney. Walt Disney's got their own font, the, the classic lettering ones. And it's a gorgeous font when you look at them individually, but when you space them all together, that's a hard thing to read. Yeah. Yeah, and for me, I mean, cover art is one of those things I pay for it. I mean, I don't try to do that myself. I'd rather have a professional look at it and say, hey, you know, this works better than this, or that's just one of those things I go ahead and pay somebody else to do because they've got a better eye for it than I do. Let me also recommend this, guys. If you do have a good eye, but you don't have Photoshop abilities or talent or time or give a damn, and you go to someplace like Fiverr or you're a friend that's good at Photoshop, 
maybe decide that font ahead of time instead of leaving it to the artist. Because artists are artists. We all have certain skill sets, and sometimes they go for the aesthetic beauty instead of the functionality. Which, if you have an artist that can do both, please, yes, give them a little freedom. But if you have somebody who's just artsy, maybe go, you go make the cover, then I'll tell you what font to put the words in on top, and I'll tell you where to put them, because I don't need that title sideways down the left-hand margin on the front cover, unless if it fits. Aaron? Oh, well, this goes back to your... uh your children's novel where you had to go back to the author and go uh to the artist and go no 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 the pictures go on this page on on well i can't remember if it was the right or the left because you're reading it to the kid and they're looking at the picture um and it's little things like that uh that make all the difference in the world because if they're reversed no kid's gonna want to do it because they're just looking at friggin' words Mm -hmm. and you're looking at the picture if I may, Cold Brew Science just said, I paid $125 for a cover on Fiverr that ended up looking like a bad Twilight cover. Kind of nervous about looking for cover artists now. This is valid. Um, this is one of those things. It's the balance of, and Tempe, I'll pass it to you in just a second. This is the balance. Hold on just a second. I got a very important message here. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> um, yeah, as, as Gomatarka said, did they not give you a preview before finishing the cover? As creative folks, sometimes we're a little meek. Don't hesitate to communicate with your artist, even if it's on Fiverr. At $125, they should have given you revisions. And give, unless you know that artist well, where you can have a constant conversation, give guidance initially to your cover artist, especially on something like Fiverr. Made a few changes, didn't make much difference. Cold brew, I feel for you. Um, but yeah, that is something to be careful of because a lot of these folks, they are mass producing as quick as they can to make the dollar. And that's understandable. But yeah, telling them, I, they go and pull popular book covers going, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? Because they don't have enough guidance. Um, Gometra says... I'm just a book lover here, not writing anything, so I don't know about these things. Cole Bruce says, I finally just accepted it as a loss. I've done that also. Mm-hmm. And regretted it down the road and paid again later to get a different cover. So, yeah, that is a balance. And that's a personal choice of how many times can you go back and go, you're not getting me. Um, researching your artist, even if it's on Fiverr, going look at previewing stuff, dropping a message, going, do you have an online portfolio I can look at? And looking a lot of different things. Another thing to do is go, you do the art, I'll get somebody else, and I'll pay them 20 bucks to put some words on the front. Which some people go, I can put words on the front. I can do that. Maybe you can. Maybe you can't. Look at yourself. <laughs> yeah. Aaron? Well, I mean, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, and I'll reference comics a lot because I love the, I love that media. It's a visual. I'll answer that in a moment after Aaron talks here. Go on, Aaron. Um. But you go back and you start looking at the X-Men covers. Mm-hmm. And they had the classic X-Men font from 1 to 300 uh, as just the, here's the words on the cover. Um, those got put on after the fact. Um, but on some of them, they'll have guys standing up there and crushing the X, or they'll knock one down to create a, another feel. Yeah, uh, it's pretty cool. What, uh, it is pretty cool. 
Um, <laughs> but if you ever go look at it, the, the cover artist didn't do that uh, unless he had a specific reason that he wanted to because um, they were trying to keep consistency and stuff like that. Uh, Marvel set the tone. They set all that stuff there uh, because they were the business. Um, and they said, okay, hey, we want you to do this. This is what it's got to have. They constrained our artists, but we're, we're business people. We're trying to sell a book and we're trying to maintain a brand. Yeah. Um, okay. And font can be a part of the brand. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you look at the original X-Men where it's kind of jagged and broken and rough versus the very clean 90s version, it changed the tone of the comic. A great question, cold brew science right here for all of us, because you're going to get a lot of answers right here. What does a quality cover typically cost? Now, I'll throw my two cents in first. I have had covers done for free. I've done covers myself. I've done that Amazon create a cover. Don't do that, please. Even advice to myself, don't do that. It's not a good generator. And I have paid $600 for a cover, which is a great price. That's a good from, price, yeah. Yeah, from what I've seen, 200 to one side or the other of 1000 is not uncommon. No. Um, and, and that's hard to swallow when you're paying out of your your job so yeah, but it lasts forever and then you'll have a quality product forever well and, and you own the license to it that's, that's the that's right that well. too yeah you're getting the license too so are you guys willing to quote some prices if not about your own just do your research and 10 people start with you go to michael then Aaron. yeah um and just when you're looking for places going back to supporting some of your local artists there are a lot of graphic artists on etsy mm-hmm. making a living doing this and that's where i get mine the person that does mine, I get the cover art, I get the social media banners, I get the ebook cover, I get the formatted book cover, which is different from the ebook cover, for less than two hundred dollars. Also, something so, to consider. Sorry to interrupt, Tempe. Audiobook covers. If you can get that thrown in, even if you're not oh, yeah. planning on doing one right now, get that audiobook cover also because it's square, and if your name is below or the title is. It, you can't necessarily just crop your rectangle cover. Then, there, of course, there's a cool 3D cover where it like shows like a 3D book, and you get to see this fine and thing, and that's kind of cool, but unnecessary. Cool. Tempe, anything more to add to that? Uh, no, just like I said, check out. Like, there's a lot. There are a lot of small businesses out here that need the extra money. Price range? They, uh, less than 200 for all of it. Mm-hmm. So, and and the lady that I use does wonderful work. So, Michael. Yeah, uh, I, I paint all my own covers, and but I have sure. done covers for I have <laughs> I do, it's all me, and uh, but I have done covers for other authors, and um, it's it's based on the complexity, you know, it's based on how many hours. Like I can do a nice clean uh, word art um, type, like or like a cover where the where the titling is like the main part of the experience, and that will bring the cost way down. I'll guarantee um, most artists spend 10 to 40 hours on a book cover. That means it can go way past that depending on the complexity. So even usually if, I do yeah, I'm, go uh, yeah usually, usually I'll do like a, a couple hours for free just to give them like a sense of where, where it's going and I'll touch base with the client and say, you know how do you like it? Okay, and, so you're talking as a cover artist now. 
Not a riot, yeah. Eh? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Before Michael goes on, here's what I'm going to say, guys. Who wouldn't want to pay an artist $10 an hour? Come on. Who wouldn't want to pay? It's not even a living wage at this point. $10 an hour. If somebody throws 40 hours of work, and if you've never done graphics, go create an emote for your Twitch channel. You're going to spend two to three hours on a stupid emote. What's somebody going to spend on a book cover? Especially if they're doing it from scratch and not going grabbing some piece of art off stock photo art sites, which is a very viable place to do it. Oh, hey, what, that, uh, a lot of the common romance novels have got the cookie cutter setup to where you can see, oh, that's the same guy's abs. Michael, did yeah. you have more to add to yours there? Um, um, in terms of the, uh, in terms of the, um, the audiobook cover that you mentioned, um, that was, that was such an important, I need to, going forward, I need to think about that with all the covers that I make for myself now, uh, which is really important because, um, like for instance, Winslow is very vertical, so I, I really couldn't use it. <laughs> Um, no, I see so grabbing I that have... same picture, cutting off the blue sky and a little bit of the bottom, dropping the title across the bodies of the monsters where you lose art. Yeah. What, I, what I ended up doing was taking uh, the art of Winslow himself from the back cover, putting it on the front in a little frame in the center, taking out Gambo, and then moving Claws over here, uh, Busco over here, and then all the monsters like coming at him. And then... The Just the fact that you've named all That's the damn monsters out. is is awesome. Well, they came with names, like I said, it's folklore. So. <laughs> I got a question for you, Michael. Yeah, oh, yeah. I want to hear about price from you too, Aaron. Oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, Michael, friggin', you you did the, your own cover art there. So, how many hours do you got in that? And if somebody else was to buy that exact same cover, what would you have charged them? Uh, let me run the calculation. Yeah, start with um, hours because I've, I've, I've never done a cover that took as long uh, for for other people, and I and I, I even work pretty fast, but I've never. Yeah, that that's like four thousand dollars of work. Oh and, right, right, and it's one of those. Uh, I've got an I'm an HVAC technician. I've got an hourly rate. Yeah. Um, and it's about a hundred dollars an hour. Yeah. Um, just that's I, yeah. the flat rate, and if you've got forty hours invested, that's four grand easy. Um, and if you're I've, discounting I've never it down. done that because my, my clients aren't, you know, I, I, I do books for indie authors, but, but the rate <laughs> is, um, the rate is $50 an hour. Um, but I, I can, can, you know, create some. Who else here wants a cover by Michael now? <laughs> I do a little bit. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> yeah. And, but it, it comes out to like, you know, kind of basically within the range that, that Travis said, um, for most of the covers i did i did a great i did an awesome oh do i have it uh, i had i did i did a cool um i did cool uh fantasy i did a great fantasy map for another author named Stuart. um and for that book he just writes under the mononym Stuart. uh called henry on fire was his was his book and it was a uh, it was kind of a portal fantasy book um but for middle school readers and um that was that was just a blast because he had he had his original um, he had his original map and he met me at Prospero's and then we became friends and he, and he became a fan of world of the orb. And then he's, and he's like, can you give like a, a world of the orb treatment to, uh, to, uh, my, my fantasy world of Altera? 
And so we looked at it and we discussed it and what he wanted and he wanted it in color. So this, we did like a watercolor type style for it. And we, and I showed, I showed the style and I up, updated it and made it all. It was really cool. I wish I, I think I have it somewhere. Go take a look. Least. We'll let Aaron answer. Mute yourself so you don't clunk around too much. And then we have a couple questions I want to read off here, guys. So go ahead, Aaron. Okay. Uh, well, I'm kind of in a weird boat here because I'm a lot of my stuff's on the nonfiction side and things that come into play there is I write the article. I do not write the title. My editor writes the title for it because he's trying to get headlines to grab things. And that's across the industry. Um, so, but they'll also do any pictures, any graphics or anything that they want to convey uh, on the article I linked earlier. I didn't provide those. I didn't do any of the fonts. I didn't write the title of it. I gave him a tentative title of what it was about. Um, so I didn't pay for that portion of it. Um, on my book, um, Persona Non Grata, uh, Jeff Berger, who's listed as the uh, the illustrator on it, he did that. He did the cat. Uh, I can't pronounce it. Uh, it's, <laughs> uh, he did the symbols within the book and things like that. Um, but he's a friend. I gave him constrained guidance. Hey, this is kind of the theme that I'm looking for. It's not a great cover, uh, but he didn't. It's a great cover for what I told him I wanted. Uh, it's not a great cover for what I'm trying to sell. That's our learning um, curve. And also, uh, you made that cover when we were in the... There's been a branch over for anybody that doesn't know. The covers that Aaron and I grew up with versus what is out there now is different. Oh, Be yeah. Because the covers we had before, people were picking up paper books and looking at it going, I have a piece of art in my hand. Now, you have to create a thumbnail. You have to create a thumbnail for your book cover, which means maybe not something that's really defining your book as a cover, but they have to be able to see it in a postage stamp size, and that creates a new challenge for us. And when, Aaron, you did your cover, it was kind of during that changeover where us writers were realizing we need a different thing for our cover besides what we grew up with. Oh, sure. No, and one of the cool things that I did do was I've got the, uh, the title of the series uh, is The Block. Uh, across the top uh, it's a nice clean font and then it's got the emblem um, which is the kind of the legionnaire's emblem underneath it and then it's got the title of the book in the banner of that so i've got no regrets on how that turned out the cover art itself um it it's far from perfect it kind of portrays what i wanted to portray but there's something better out there i just haven't found it yet no, uh, I'll have to get him to do that for me. There we go. I'm going to read these questions real quick. Um, and this is a question I'm going to read off, then read the other comments, then let us get back to the question. Gomatarka says, do you guys write for a living? So you can mull that over how to answer it because it's not as straightforward as Gomatarka probably would like. Um, Gomatarka, by the way, also says, that discussion is pretty interesting for an outsider of writing like me. And Cold Brew Science says, thanks for all this info and elaboration. It's helpful. And those two comments right there, thank you guys for typing that out. That's yeah, what we the love. Feedback. Yeah, we love to hear that you guys are like, I got something from what you're talking about. That's great to hear. Whether you're a writer or not a writer, it's a beautiful thing for us. This is This is food for our soul, folks. So thank you. Thank you. Well, getting any feedback is good, um, even if you don't like it or you disagree with it. Uh, and me and Travis had a conversation. One of the reviews I got, I'm like, okay, check. And 
we realized it was just outside his area of interest. And he was a dick. <laughs> but <laughs> well, no, he had valid points. But it's just you go look at all of his reviews. He's like toilet paper. This stuff is shitty. <laughs> that kind of thing. And I don't think he was trolling. He just was a curmudgeon. Um, so things, any feedback is good feedback because it gives us food for thought to go for that. By the way, if you ever have a series like Tempe and you get somebody, the same person, giving a bad review on multiple books, you have just sold more than one book to that person bitching about your work. Nah, and that's a value right there. That is true. So, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Michael, I still have your money. <laughs> that's right. And, and thank you. And please look forward to the next book to complain about. Yes. Michael, that's we're going to let you show that in just a moment. I want to talk about, do you write for a living? And I'll answer last instead of jumping in the spotlight. Tempe, do you write for a living? Um, I don't know that I write for a living. I have other sources of income. <laughs> but okay. I, 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 writing is definitely what I spend the most time on. <laughs> a question for clarification. Do, do you lose money on writing or do you gain money on writing, even if it's a penny? See, that's actually, I, I don't even necessarily want to put money. Do you make money is a separate question. So do we make a living off writing is a very different question from do you write for a living? Yeah, um, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call it making a living. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know many writers who would call it making a living. But, you know, I, I don't write for the money. I write because I enjoy oh. it. So. Aaron, what about you? You write for a living? Uh, I, I'm, I'm constantly, constantly writing. writing. Uh, between the PA, uh, between the school, uh, the articles, uh, continuing on the, the books, uh, yes, I write for a living, um, but I also do a lot of other things for a living as well. Um, I don't make any money at it, but I do it. Michael? Uh, writing is the main thing that I do, and I supplement uh, with the cover art and stuff. Um but it's it's all sort of in the same realm uh, to me. It's all it's all part of. I, I look at it as just part of the business, um, part of the company, and so I look at I look at it like that. And and I do um, school talks. I do inspirational speaking, and that helps. Um, Which relates to I, writing. Yeah. Am, is it is it equal to a traditional job yet? No, but I'm building I'm I'm building up to it. And you know, as long as I you know. I'm trying to see those signs of growth, and, and as long as I see those, and, and every year it gets just a little bit better. Um, Here's what, but that's a pretty good segue to show the um, to show this. Can this, I throw this, my this two cents in first? Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Effort. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no problem. I write to live. Yeah, okay? yeah, that's good. I do not live to write. I, I have to work a day job, if that helps answer your question, Goldman Tiger. But... I write to live. This is the way I bring joy to others, bring thought to others, etc. Just like the stream here. I don't make a living off the stream, but I do it because I'm passionate about it and love what I'm doing. I love reaching out to people and connecting with them, even if I never see that connection. And that's why I write. I would love to make a living off of writing, and I really hope that comes one day. But I don't know, even if I write all these books and I'm still not making money off of it, there is a good chance I will continue to write. Because here's something I'll tell you about writers. Writing is a bit of a lottery. 
You can be as talented as all get out, but a little bit of luck, right place, right time, can make or break a career. We look at Ready Player One. This guy wrote half a book and started sending it out. Publishers got into a bidding war before the book was done. He got a huge contract. And then that publisher that got it threw it out to movie studios before the book was done. They got into a bidding war. So this guy had to finish a book under the pressure of a writing contract and a movie contract. And he's still working on book two. Um, So it's, it's one of those things. Writers write. Whether it's blogging, whether it's fiction, nonfiction, they write. Um, one of them is good problems, says Cole Brew and Gomenarcho says, that guy, thinking meaning you, Mike, must be so talented, you're a multi-talented artist. Um, and perhaps Gomenarcho meant the guy must be so talented for something else. So the bottom line is, we write because we love for whatever reason, connecting with other people. Tempe has mentioned previously, she was just, she had to get this out, which we've heard writers say that before. Some have experienced it, some haven't. Some muddle through it step by step. Others thrust it out into the world. It's different for every person, though you'll find commonalities across the board. I'm waiting for someone to pick mine up for a TV series. Right. That's my goal. That is another way to write. Yeah, when you, when you write, you can keep that framework in mind, movies or TV series, which I do on certain books, not on all of them. So, Michael, you've got something to show us. Show and tell time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'll show this really quick. Um, so this is, I wonder if it'll show up well. So here's the map. That I there you go. It's, nice. a little bit, it's a little bit squished in this um, dimension. But he had this on, on a little card, and he, and he signed this for me and gave it to me, and I was like, oh, it looks so good, dude. And this- With MailChimp, you get a whole lot more than a URL. You get an all-in-one marketing platform to help drive sales. That means you can connect your data to make more informed, smarter decisions, and you get powerful automation tools like our customer journey builder to ensure you never miss an opportunity to turn shoppers into loyal customers. So if you're ready to integrate your marketing and boost sales, Get started today at MailChimp.com slash smart marketing. MailChimp, built for growing businesses. Tis the season for those irresistible ginger thins, cozy blankets for cuddling by the fire, and making home warm and welcoming. For one-stop holiday shopping, visit your local IKEA or IKEA-USA.com slash holiday. This is, this is meant to be inside the book when you open it up. Um... And uh, it's cool. I really like this, this little Viking style ship. We we talked a lot about the ship, and uh, and then this. Uh, his favorite bit was the, and, and my favorite bit too was the compass rose with the unicorn. Unicorn's an important character in this book. And um, yeah, the book is called Henry on Fire. And he also gave me. He put it on a plaque, and oh, so nice. I got I got a plaque with the uh, with the unicorn compass rose. Um, so very cool, cool stuff. stuff. And in this case, uh, West West is up in the. In the, in the view of the map. And then, yeah. Something else I'll tell you guys. If you're going to go to a cover artist, and Michael, back me up or argue with me on this one. Every time I've done a cover where I've sought out a specific cover artist, I have had a sketch of what I'm mm-hmm. looking for. Now, I've allowed them to change it 
but at least they know what I'm looking for as opposed to one paragraph. Um, yeah. It shows them the placing where I expect the title, where I expect different things, and I just want them to make it look good instead of my level of ability and talent and give a damn. Um, a real quick comment from Princess Chiara. Creativity always has its path, whether it be writing on a napkin about a young wizard or unfinished book that will be a Hollywood hit without being finished. So, yeah, there's there's all kinds of things here. And you've seen how we're talking about fonts right now. And we're totally off topic. About to yank us back on there. Um, because we have 15 minutes left, and I want to talk about the Comic Sans sensation before we're done. Aaron, I see you opening your mouth. What do you got? No, no, no. Uh, the, the, the big thing about font is it is a visual way to display more information. The old freaking... Uh, Personality. Well, a picture paints a thousand words. Well, fonts, words, they're pictures. They're nothing but pictures. And if you change the word... Well, you take the word stop. Okay, you just write it out. Or you put a stop sign. Conveys it in entirely different Or you meaning. capitalize it. Change. Or you italicize it. Exactly. Or Jesus. you put it on a sentence by itself versus a comma and whatever else. It's a very different word. Absolutely. And th I mean, that goes back to last week's conversation about style guides and stuff like that. Um, to where, oh, the, there's something special about the way we're conveying this information because it's going to change the way you as the reader process it uh, for us. I mean, and like if you get an email and somebody's got it in Comic Sans, you go, oh, this guy's a knucklehead. <laughs> Back to Comic Sans. In case anybody doesn't know, about 15 years ago, there was a huge blow up about Comic Sans. Now, Comic Sans was a comic book style font. Little fun, not messy, pretty easy to read, but a little bubbly. And people started using it in professional emails, at least inter-office emails. And at first... People seem cool with it. This is before emojis, when we only had emotes, where you actually had to put a colon and a parenthesis for a smiley, and it didn't turn into a cutesy picture. Um, people got into it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. People got into a rage after a few years of this, going, this is horrible, this is unprofessional. We should ban and remove Comic Sans, uh, which I found hilarious, because I think the first person who ever bitched about it was being comedic. You know, sure, they might be a little frustrated, but all in all, they're like, oh, God, this is so silly, so this is ridiculous. And people blew up, and then it became a thing. Bandwagons are scary, scary things. They're, they're the... They're a lynch mob information. Um, Gary says, used it on my phone, but the novelty wore out quickly, which I think that's a good thing, as much as I love Comic Sans in the right place and time. So... Comic Sans, what do you guys think of it? Uh, the thing about Comic Sans is it's got a very, like, somebody was writing feel to it. Mm -hmm. um, so, it's great in, like, a comic book. If you're doing thought bubbles or speech bubbles in a comic, you're fine. Who cares? But it's all part of that same audience. Now, whereas if you try to do it in a professional document, and that's not one of your sidebars oh, I'm going to tear you up. I'm going to just like, it's Comic Sans. Um, if I was a technical writer, uh, going back to Tara, if she received something in Comic Sans, first thing she would do is uh, Arial 12, send it back. First change. By the way, if you're going to yeah. use Comic Sans internally or externally, 
At most, you should use it for the quote below your signature. <laughs> At most. Oh, and yeah. then it has to be something from Groucho Marx or Stan Lee. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Tempe? I remember using oh, it. Go ahead, Michael. Oh, sorry. No. I remember using a similar, I think it was called Andy uh, for the font. It only appears on the dedication of Chicken Boy. So every font has a time and a place, and every font has the tone that it evokes. So it it depends. So, you know, Chicken Boy has a comic booky feel. So there, on that one page of font that's like it, that's in the same family, works. Tempe. Uh, I think my first experience with comic sans was when I emailed one of my kids when they were like 12 or 13, and I got an email back saying, why did you send this in common sense? <laughs> From a child. Must have felt like a 12 or a 13 year old for using it. Uh, and I was just emailing them. I didn't even think about it. Um, but yeah, it, that's, it, it's so weird that a font can create so much friction. Between so much drama. Yeah. Papyrus had some drama too. Yes. <laughs> Your font is the personality, the unspoken personality of whatever you're writing. That's true. Whether it's the cover with the original, hey, look at me, or hey, you can't tell what the hell I just yelled. Because <laughs> <laughs> the cover is shouting at people. It's, hey, look at me. That's your cover. Look at me. Internally, you set the tone with the font. As a writer on the professional business side, if your font is hard to read, you are failing as a business. And go... Go look at businesses across. Now, if you have a strip mall, they're all in the same. All the signs are in the same. Um, fonts mean things. They create emotional reactions. Colors. By the way, don't put a color in your damn book. Uh, a book <laughs> font. Um, unless you're doing oh, a comic uh, book. Go ahead, Aaron. Make it way more expensive. Uh, never ending story. It's got colored pages. I haven't read uh, it. it. It depending on which side of the world you're on. If you're in Bastion's world, it's one color. If you're on the, uh, if you're in the fake world, it's another one. <laughs> but it, that was a very stylistic choice that the author made. So uh, it cool. worked for that one, but it may not work for you. Mm -hmm. So choosing your font, and I want to mention real quick now, and I, I'm so sorry Tara isn't here because she knows the exact name. There is a dyslexic font that is typed in a certain oh, way. Dyslexic. Thank you, thank you, Michael, thank you. Um, open dyslexia for anybody who didn't hear him. And if you look at it, if you, if you go for me, put on my reading glasses, but whatever, look closely at it, it almost looks a little broken or spotty or blotchy. Yep. But this specific font, for people with dyslexia, it becomes very clear and concise and easy to read. Easier, I should say. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. Look at look at Aaron with the links. Thank you, Aaron. Well He's done. He's been man. incredible with the links. He's fucking great. As soon as I mentioned Andy, Andy appeared. I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> he knows uh, how to the use anthology, the... Yeah, the anthology we did for MarsCon was, uh, mm -hmm. was printed in that font. Uh, so that's Rogues and Rebels. If you want to check that out on Amazon, you may be able to look in it and see the font. You know where you can read the first few pages. Good point. You'll see the Take differences. A look at it. And as somebody, yes. if you've never read Open Dyslexic Font, it will stand out for you for a moment. But like anything, once you get rolling, it, you go. It doesn't stand out anymore. It's just different from what you're used to seeing. And it almost reminds me of typewriters. Because typewriters had uneven ink. 
Oh, yeah, that's true. And I think that's something that's nice about the open dyslexic. It feels like uneven ink. And because of that, the eye draws to it differently than something that is constant and whatnot. And I think that helps people who have a certain way of seeing things see it more clearly. Aaron? Uh, well, one of the things that we run into with people that are not dyslexic, we, t- we don't actually read words. We see the first and the last letter and the length of the word, and our brain fills in the gap. Correct. Uh, unless, unless you're constantly, constantly going, going down, down here. They have um, done tests, and there's you could Google it real quick, where they will put the first letter and the last letter correctly and then rearrange the letters in the center. And if you don't look too closely, you can read it pretty easily. Yeah, your mind fills in the spaces. Mm-hmm. Go on, Aaron. Uh, our, our brains just see it as a picture. We, we don't uh, – it's all pattern recognition, and right. the better you are at pattern recognition – it, it goes and not getting into any of the dyslexic stuff, but there's a disconnect there for uh, some of that. Um, I'm dyslexic when it comes to numbers, but not words. Um, so it's one of those I got, okay, nope, that's the actual number there, which is why I never call anybody because I'm like, hi, this is Fed. That's not who I wanted to talk to. <laughs> what kind of fucker is this? That's right. <laughs> Very good to be called sweden <laughs> hello new friend <laughs> okay real quick tangent and then we'll get off this no michael you're too young for this i'm guessing i could be wrong correct me does anybody else out. remember sitting at home in your early teens and your phone with a cord would ring and you pick it up and it'd be a wrong number and an hour later you and your new friend would hang up this was if a you thing. ever did hang up yeah this and i i actually had one person who she was indian and i Fema was her name. And yeah, it was a wrong number. And I think it wasn't a wrong number so much as somebody who got bored and dialed random numbers. And we talked for close to a year over the phone before we just, whatever reason, lost contact. But uh, Cat Williams had a great skit on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going, you got to get yourself some white friends. You call, you call them, they'll help you out. Okay, if you can't figure it out, give me a call back. We'll work it out together. <laughs> So anyhow, yeah, that's a quick tangent right there. Tempe, you ever do that when you were younger? Um, no, but that's not nearly as interesting as the as the party lines were. Do you remember the party lines? Were you now, are you talking <laughs> about the ones before our era where people shared one phone line, or are you talking about the ones yeah. where you purposely called this group? It's like Skype nowadays or whatever, but you would randomly connect with four or six other people by dialing this specific number and just have random conversations. Shout roulette. <laughs> Pretty much. No, I'm talking about actual shared lines okay. where you could pick it up and somebody was on the phone having a conversation with somebody else and listen <laughs> and you would just have to quietly hang up because a lot of the younger generation probably has no idea what we're talking about, but phone lines were once upon a time shared. A community might, you know, three, four, five people might share one phone line. And if you picked it up and somebody was already on the phone, you'd have to hang it up and wait for them to get off to call. Make that your was, own phone that was also regional because if I'm not mistaken, I think I'm a couple years older than Tempe. But in South Florida, where I grew up, the phone lines were new enough. You didn't have that. Well, that's because um, a tornado wipes it out every three weeks. Not in Florida. Well, not in South Florida. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but, we had them in the Marine Corps barracks uh, in uh, San Diego well into the 90s uh, because they just didn't update the phone systems. So one building would just share the phone line. Whoever answered it first, all right, 
nope, not for you. Hang up. Don't answer it again. All right. Right. My grandmother had a, a shared party line like that. We always had a separate one because there were five of us. It's so, <laughs> five children. So, you know, or how about in your teens phone. when you got that second phone line in the house just for you? Oh, I didn't get that. Uh, that was a beautiful thing. <laughs> okay, we got five minutes left. Let's wrap up the concept here. And I'm going to respond to a comment real quick. And then we're going to wrap up our final thoughts about fonts. V for Vendetta asks, what's this, new stream? V, this is our Saturday night stream. This is our third week, I think, where from 8 to 10 Eastern at twitch.tv slash Travis Tavern Talk, as you know, um, we are doing two hours with myself and a handful of other writers that will change out, and the longer we go, the more other people will pull in for one show, multiple shows, etc., but what you're seeing here is just above my screen is Tempe Wade. Aaron is the other corner. And then Michael Thompson. I'm sorry, Aaron Kennedy. Let me do the full last names also. And then Michael Thompson. And we all write to live for no yeah. better description there. So final thoughts on fonts. Tempe? Uh, like everything else you put in your product, think about it. Mm-hmm. You're trying to convey a very specific image, brand, tone. Font is one of those things that you've got to actively think about. Even if it's just, okay, I like this one and it's going to work. Or, oh, let's change this up because this doesn't convey the sense of dread that I want to do. <laughs> and Michael, before you answer, I want to point out, don't forget comics. Don't forget Chicken Boy versus Winslow, because you have different fonts and different books, and I think that's very important. Yep. Maybe it relates to closing thoughts for you or not, but please, your yeah, closing no, thoughts. That's about, that's about right. Different different fonts for every project. Every uh, And I try, I try to do that. So far, every project has its own unique font for the body and for the cover uh, or the chapter headings. And, uh, and then the fonts that I do for other people, like this is, uh, or the covers I do, like this is one of them, and this was, this was a very different font. Um, but it kind of looks like handwriting because the it's the thoughts of the main character who's kind of uh, doing this poetry and stuff. That's um, a great font because that is a script font, which are hell to work with. But that's a great font because I can glance at that and get it. So yeah. well done there, Michael. Go on with mm-hmm. what else you got there. And that's and you know font uh, it, it's a it's a small piece of art, and art evokes emotion. So you want to pick the right. Uh, the thing that matches the emotion of, of the project. And then, uh, like Tempe said, you want to uh, have it, and, and, like, and like what uh, Aaron said as well, that make it part of your brand. Um, every, every, every book that's in the same series, have it match, have it look like a set. Um, I think that's important. Okay, what I'm going to say is think about the definition of font, guys, such as a font of wisdom, a wellspring, a source of whatever, even I'm going with water for the imagery in my own head, your font is that thing that it's the underlying everything of your project, of your work that you're handing to other people. Because of that, even something as simple as Ariel versus New Times Roman, they look very similar at a glance, but they're different. 
So think about that and think of that importance. And I just want to point out, we just did an hour on fonts. Yeah. <laughs> with a little tangent here and there. Guys, we are, word nerds. <laughs> we are out of air. Everybody say goodbye. Let me do some closing music. And don't forget, this will Bye. be up via podcast Bye. in about midweek. Have a great week, guys. And don't forget to join us Monday nights for Talk of the Tavern. And down the road, Stealing for Survival, our Sunday night D&D game. Have a great weekend, guys. Keep healthy. Be smart. Princess has really enjoyed the stream. Can't wait for next Saturday. More insight and clever commentary. Well, hey. we'll try to get the second part in there. Good night. <laughs> Where's my music? Here we go. Outro. Thanks for tuning in, guys. For 150 years, Children's National Hospital has provided exceptional care and groundbreaking research. Please donate today to give children and healthcare heroes a reason to believe this holiday season. Visit childrensnational.org slash holiday.